This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. The more light we shine on it, the more acceptable it is to deal with it. It was one woman's very personal story. She was a good talker. She was very expressive and very good at expressing her feelings. And it changed how Iowans looked at sexual assault. To our surprise, they were receptive to talking about it. And I think that is one bit of progress that came about because of our series. Removing the Stigma, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Remembering a story that made some uncomfortable, but led to a change in how we think of rape and other assaults. Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism Executive Director and Editor Lyle Muller has our story. That a story about a rape case would be on the front page of the Sunday, February 25, 1990 Des Moines Register was not all that surprising. The surprise came when the newspaper broke from a usual practice when reporting a crime like this. The name of the woman who was raped was in the story. News organizations routinely have protected the identity of people who are raped because of a stigma attached to being subjected to this particular crime. That stigma comes from questions raised about the person who is attacked. Did that person, usually a woman, bring this on herself is a frequently used defense. But Nancy Ziegenmeyer, a 29-year-old mother, decided that remaining anonymous would not work for her. She had been raped the morning of November 19, 1988, overtaken by a man while she waited in her car that Saturday to take a state real estate license exam in Des Moines. Terrorized during the assault, then upset about how long it was taking to bring her attacker to justice, Siegenmeyer called the Des Moines Register and offered to tell her story. She called the Register because she had read an essay by its editor at that time, Geneva Overholzer, in which Overholzer asserted that news organizations increased the stigma of being raped when automatically making victims anonymous. Rape is an American shame, Overholzer wrote in a Register article. As long as rape is deemed unspeakable and is therefore not fully and honestly spoken of, the public outrage will be muted as well, she wrote. Jane Shore Meisner, a features writer at the Register, was assigned to talk with Siegenmeyer for a story. By her own admission, Meisner was not a hard news reporter. Features were her expertise, and she wrote them well. Meisner started talking with Siegenmeyer. Overall, the two would talk more than 50 times, usually by phone, before the eventual story was published. The story caused quite a stir. Some criticized it for going into intricate details about how the rape was committed. Too lurid, those critics said. Some were concerned about the act of naming Ziegenmeyer, who now has a different last name. But others praised the Register, Overholzer, Meisner, and especially Ziegenmeyer for what they called an honest portrayal of the crime of rape and how it impacts the lives of real people. Those heaping on the praise included a Pulitzer Prize jury that awarded the Des Moines Register and Jane Shore, the name under which the stories were written, the 1991 Pulitzer Prize for Public Service. The Pulitzer brought additional attention to the story. It provoked journalists to change the way they think about covering assaults like rape, and rape victim advocates to push women to change a trend of keeping such attacks secret for fear of being stigmatized, 
and to report the crime instead. Consensus on naming the person who was attacked is elusive, though. Ziegenmeyer wrote a book with co-author Larkin Warren for Avon Books in 1993, and a television movie was made about her experience. Meisner left the register in 2014, the result of job eliminations that newspapers across the country have made in cost-saving moves. She works in public relations now, but this story is a big part of her life. This program, and another one next week, features the following interview with Jane Shore Meisner about her Pulitzer Prize winning effort. Journalism should have impact. Do you feel that the reporting that you did had any kind of impact in Iowa? Well, it, it certainly got people's attention, and I think the initial impact was it took people by surprise. Back in 1990, when this series was published, um, people didn't talk about rape and rape victims. And when this article came out in the newspaper and was read by people across the state, uh, they were surprised to see it. and. To our surprise, they were receptive to talking about it. And I think that is one um, uh, bit of progress that came about because of our series. Now, did it uh, stop a rape from happening? No. The 25 years later, the statistics are still there that um, uh, crimes are still happening of this nature. and. There still is a stigma, I believe. Um, but I think that our series at least opened a door to make it acceptable to talk honestly about uh, this crime. Take us to the beginning on how this story started at the Des Moines Register, how you learned about it. Uh, started with uh, the, uh, the woman who had been attacked reading an article. Yes, the Register's editor at that time, Geneva Overholzer, had written an opinion piece that said um, basically that she believed that if we talked more openly about rape, that that would help erase the stigma around it. And one of our readers, a woman in Grinnell, Iowa, read that opinion piece, and she was a rape victim herself. And so she had plenty of thoughts uh, on the matter. And she called uh, Geneva and asked for an appointment and came in to talk to her about that editorial. And from that conversation, the um, rape victim said, well, if you believe that it will do some good, I will be willing to talk openly about this and let you use my name and, and photograph. Um, so that was the beginning of the assignment. Then uh, it eventually came to me uh, after dis discussions about whether it should be handled by the, uh, a police reporter or a courthouse reporter. It was finally given to me because I was perceived as um, uh, a sensitive writer who could work with uh, people, and, and especially with this woman on a sensitive issue. So I was given um, a little uh, note with the woman's name and address and said, call this uh, gal and, and uh, interviewer. And that was the beginning of the, the project. Some editors and, and uh, reporters I know sit down and 
uh, try to design a, a worthwhile project that will have an impact and, and maybe be an award-winning project. That's not how this one came about at all. Uh, we had no idea that this was going to be um, a, a big sensation. The It became a series as opposed to just an article because the trial of the accused man was delayed over and over and over, and uh, seven months passed. And during that time, I was working on all my daily assignments, but I kept having conversations with the rape victim, with the, our source, and uh, accumulated a mound of notes of what was going on in her daily life and what she was going through trying to process um, the ordeal. And when the uh, trial finally was held, the uh, accused was convicted, and then we then I sat down and wrote the story. Um, was going to lobby for three parts because I had so much material. In the end, I was given five parts. It became a five-part series, so that doesn't happen to reporters very often. Um, and uh, the register took a risk um, by publishing it, I think, and uh, broke new ground. Geneva Overholzer wrote, Rape is an American shame. Our society needs to see that and attend to it, not hide it or hush it up. That was that part was of the, mm -hmm. the whole article that she had written that had been seen. Had you been aware of that essay that Geneva had written? Actually, no. Not, not until I got the assignment and went back and read it. And what did you think of that stance that she took at that particular point in time? Uh, well, uh, I'm, I, I was not then very knowledgeable uh, about uh, rape and about the, the crime and the statistics. But in general, as a journalist, I agreed with it. Um, the more light we shine on it, the more um, acceptable it is to deal with it. That was a different approach than what newspapers generally take, and that yes. is to not name yes. someone who's been uh, sexually assaulted in order to protect the identity of the person. That's right. Coming up, how the story itself came to be published after months of behind-the-scenes reporting. That's next, as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Executive Director at the nonprofit parent of this program, Iowa Watch. Iowa Watch is part of an exciting funding opportunity through Newsmatch, a national campaign supported by several notable foundations that care about nonprofit journalism. Newsmatch will match every dollar you donate right now so that quality journalism like Iowa Watch can continue. Your $25 becomes $50 in support of in depth, fact based journalism. It is that easy. Please consider giving through this great opportunity by going to the donate button at the top of iowawatch.org. Again, iowawatch.org. And thank you for listening to our report today.
Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. We continue our focus on a groundbreaking story published by the Des Moines Register that earned the 1991 Pulitzer Prize for Public Service. Here again is Iowa Watch Executive Director and Editor Lyle Muller. Jane Shore-Meisner started covering Nancy Ziegenmeyer's rape case before it went to trial. She learned about Ziegenmeyer's life, including some warts. She also watched as the pending trial was delayed frequently over whether or not DNA evidence could be submitted. The Register waited until the trial was over to publish its story, which meant months of reporting without publishing. You were able to get confidences of sources where that, is that correct? For example, your article quotes the defense attorney or talks about some things that even the defense attorney was talking about. Yes. How did that come about? Well, uh, I uh, called him up and, and asked if I could come talk to him and, and interviewed him. Um, <clears throat> the folks were quite puzzled um, by what we were up to, and the judge was very puzzled. I wasn't the usual courtroom reporter. You know, who? why is the register sending this other reporter? And I didn't know my way around the, the courtroom either. Um, so they were on guard about what we were up to. And I had a conversation with the judge uh, in his chambers and um, tried to explain. I said, all I want to do is tell this woman's story of what it is like for a rape victim. And actually, after the series ran, the judge wrote me a very nice letter, and he, and he said, you told me this is what you wanted to do, and, and he said you did it. So that meant a lot to me. So the person who was tried, Bobby Lee Smith, actually had three counts, I believe. There, were, there was an argument uh, to separate different counts of the trial, and he had gone through an acquittal and then came to this particular trial, uh, according to the, the article that you had written. Um, and uh, what I'm wondering about is the person who was assaulted and some of the uh, mood swings she was going through during this. You had written in your article, uh, quoting her, I'm more of a victim of bureaucracy than I was of Bobby Lee Smith, at least he didn't do this to me for months. How, how did you handle some of that emotion that was going on when you were talking to the woman? Well, again, most of our conversations were on the phone. Um, not all of them, and especially at the courthouse during the trial, we were together. Um, I was a, a listener. Um, and I wrote down what she was telling me. She was a good talker. She was very expressive and, and very good at expressing her feelings um, and emotion, and that's what came through in the story. So I was just a listener and did what a reporter was supposed to do. Now, when I went home at the end of the day, did it have an effect on me? Yes, uh, it, it drained me. Um, 
I have a, a problem with <laughs> empathy, feeling what other people feel, and this was real hard for me. Uh, I uh, have never pretended that I remained emotionally detached. I, I did not. I felt her pain. Hard because of the subject matter. And yeah. How did you divorce that from trying to step aside and write uh, an article? I tried to um, do what reporters are taught to do, just report what happened. And that's what I did. I just started writing and wrote down what she told me. Um, uh, if I had opinions along the way, that was not appropriate to be in there. I just wrote down what she told me, what the other sources told me. Can you talk to us a little bit about what was going on then at the Register when this story was published finally in February in the five-part series. What kind of reaction did you get? It was, um, the word that I think of is chaos, but it was um, all a positive uh, chaos. Uh, my colleagues were so supportive and so uh, complimentary um, that was a wonderful feeling uh, with all the messages they sent me in support of this. Um, the, and right away, other media uh, jumped on board, and the New York Times called, and, and uh, NBC Nightly News called, and, and the phone was just ringing off the hook with uh, other media wanting to know about this uh, unusual story that we were running. Did you hear from women's groups? Oh yes. What was that like? Uh, uh, there was pro and con. The One of the criticisms, uh, which I think is valid, is that in our story the rapist was a stranger and that is not the norm. Most rapes are uh, acquaintance rapes in one way or another. And so they said, uh, you know, why would you uh, choose one that is not the usual uh, type of crime. Well, we didn't choose that. Uh, we had a person come and volunteer, and we took what we got, uh, and that happened to be uh, the facts of her situation. Um, we also had, you know, a little uh, criticism about the race. The uh, accused man was um, black and the victim was white. And so why would we uh, buy into that stereotype? Again, we didn't choose. This is the case that we had to work with, and those were the facts of the case. Did you think about that when you were writing to about how to handle those types of issues sensitively? I don't recall that I uh, engineered anything specifically to, to avoid or to cushion or anything like that. Uh, I just wrote it how it was. Straightforward yep. facts. Yeah. Let it fall as it may. How about fact checking? A lot of times in a case like this, a lot of fact checking has to take place, and it's difficult because of the personal nature of what's happened. But at least, did you have? Did you feel like you had an advantage because of the trial and all of that, bringing out some of the facts? And well, it? yes. The the legal issues were all spelled out. I I had confirmation of those through legal documents um, and through the court proceedings. Um, checking out my source was a problem. This woman had come to us. We didn't know anything about her. 
Um, and, you know, the reporter always checks out your source. So I uh, called some people I knew in uh, Grinnell, her hometown, and, and uh, tried to find out what I could about her as a person. And unfortunately, not all of it was favorable. Uh, she didn't have uh, necessarily a good reputation in her town. And so we discussed, uh, you know, what do we do about this? And the editor decided, and I agreed 100%, that that had nothing to do with this case, with this um, assault. And so we did not go into that specifically, although I tried in my writing to um, portray that, that she was not perfect. She was not, you know, a, an angel. She was a regular blue-collar person. I'm Lyle Muller with the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Suzanne Banke, Executive Director at the nonprofit parent of this program, Iowa Watch. Iowa Watch is part of an exciting funding opportunity through Newsmatch, a national campaign supported by several notable foundations that care about nonprofit journalism. Newsmatch will match every dollar you donate right now so that quality journalism like Iowa Watch can continue. Your $25 becomes $50 in support of in-depth, fact-based journalism. It is that easy. Please consider giving through this great opportunity by going to the Donate button at the top of iowawatch.org. Again, iowawatch.org. And thank you for listening to our report today. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. You can connect with us online anytime, iowawatch.org. You can still click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again for a list of stations that carry the program and more, iowawatch.org. Follow us on Twitter at iowawatch. And be sure to use the hashtag IAWatchConnection when commenting about the program. We're on Facebook too, facebook.com slash iowawatch. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.